Okay, I want to talk to you about the divine exchange. Isaiah, if you're from Europe, Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61, verse 3. And I want you to catch the trade-off between God and his people. God always gives the greater. So he says, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. So the divine exchange is always God giving us more for our less. From the earliest beginnings of God's dealing with mankind, back in Genesis, his plan for blessing us with all good things and our willing reciprocation with our first fruits or our tithe should never be troublesome or discouraging. But let me pause and say, did you ever learn anything that wasn't right in the Bible? I, well, come on. Some of you right now don't have a clue. Some, you're, something you're holding on to isn't even in the Bible or somebody made it up or you just heard it all your life and you just assumed it was true. My grandmother used to say, Ricky, if you drink milk and eat fish, it'll poison you. <laughs> Grandma, you're wrong. We had a big snowstorm, and they said this is the worst snowstorm we had in South Carolina when I was in high school. My grandma turned to me, and she says, see, Ricky, this is the end times. not going to be here much longer. <laughs> I've been here a long time. Grandma was wrong. But, but, but I look at people sometimes, and, or they'll say something, oh, that's Pentecostal. Oh, that's charismatic. And I said, excuse me, if it's biblical, it's for all believers. So for, for example, the Bible says, clap your hands, all you people, shout unto God with the voice of tribe. That's in the Bible. That isn't, a, that isn't Pentecostal. That's, that's believer Bible. Okay. The Bible says, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. You can find a hundred verses on doing that. And yet people will say, well, that's charismatic. You know, I was raised in a Baptist church and we'd throw you out of church if you lifted up your hands. Only doing what God said do. So I refuse to allow somebody to, to say that's this denomination or that brand. If it's clear scripture, it's mine. Right? It's mine. It's not Oldsmobile, Chevrolet, or Mercedes. It's mine. I'm a believer in Jesus. So you get into a lot of that nonsense out there. And if somebody abuses a truth, don't give up the truth. Just spit out the abuse. There are a lot of people that abuse healing or whatever. It's in the Bible. But we realize that some people make an extreme view and, and put people in, in great disappointment. But it's there. And so I want it, particularly if you're, if you're sick, right? You do want it. I want to get well. So don't allow somebody's abuse of a truth to cause you to reject the truth. That's, that, excuse me, but that's just stupid. Okay. Okay. Thanks, brother. I appreciate it. Why don't you just sit down here? I'll talk to you. So it, it should, in fact, straighten out a lot of mistruths that people have to unlearn some things they learned improperly. We all do. So the earliest story of this concept of first fruits and blessing is in Genesis 4. God created Adam and Eve. Notice they were not birthed from the womb of a woman. They did not have a belly button because they did not have an umbilical cord. Now you can talk about that at lunch, okay? Did you know that? They were created, handcrafted by God. 
And then they began to procreate and have children. They began by having two sons, Cain, the firstborn, and Abel. The Bible says in Genesis 4, verse 3, that in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering from the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Verse 4, Abel brought the firstborn, the firstfruits of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord had favor and respected Abel and his offering. Verse 5, but the Lord did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? Will I not accept you? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. So let's look at the basics of this story. We can do it together, right? Abel tithed a first fruit. That's the firstborn lamb from his flock. Now this is going, this is before Moses, the law of Moses. This is right back in creation. And this is the earliest picture we get of tithing. He brought what God obviously had demanded, a firstborn, first thing, first fruit. Cain did not. The original language shows the casualness with which he gave a little bit of some of the abundance of the crop he raised from the ground. But it wasn't first, and it wasn't a blood-bearing animal. So why was this important, and how did they even know to do that back in Genesis. Simple. God taught Adam everything he needed to know after the fall. Adam named all the animals based on God having taught him. So God taught Adam, and Adam taught his sons. So this is getting taught all through the Bible. Some believed and obeyed God, some didn't. Pretty much the same today. So from the moment God created Adam and Eve, they didn't need to be redeemed Because they hadn't yet sinned. They hadn't fallen. They were perfect. Now, let me say they were not righteous. They were perfect. You're not righteous until you've been tested. So the Bible says of Jesus, he was tested in all points like as we are, yet without sin, and declared righteous. Adam was created perfect, and when he got tested, he fell. See the difference? (laughs) I'm going to come right down here, okay? But, but when through their disobedience they chose to eat the fruit they were commanded not to eat, they sinned. Okay, then God immediately kicked in a redemption plan for mankind. And when they recognized they were naked, God brought two bloody animal skins to clothe them so they weren't naked. Now, where did God get those skins? Obviously, he sacrificed and shed the blood of two animals. So God taught Adam that now that you have fallen into sin, the only redemption, the only forgiveness from sin is for an innocent substitute to die and shed its blood in your place. So we're going to use an animal. Blood must be shed for sin. In the New Testament, Hebrews 9, verse 22, it says, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. See, your works and good works are admirable, but they won't forgive sin. I give to United Way. Good, but it won't forgive sin. Being nice to the homeless is a good thing. Great, but it won't forgive sin. Your moral behavior, 
great, honored, but it won't forgive sin. It takes the shedding of blood. Now watch how God is going to teach this. God taught Adam, and Adam taught his sons, and Cain chose not to obey. Cain said, I'm not giving up one of my lambs. I'll give up some fruit. And if God doesn't like it, well, God didn't like it. God didn't want fruits and vegetables because they don't cover sin. So a sacrificed firstborn animal took your judgment with its shed blood. Remember now, Adam's taught that. They know this. And the sacrifice of lambs is carried all through the Bible until in John chapter 2, it says the Lamb of God showed up, Jesus, and he died and shed his innocent blood once for all sin. So there's a, there's a progression right through Genesis to the birth of Jesus. Now, because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, there's no need to keep sacrificing any animals because Jesus was the once for all sacrifice for sin. Now watch this little pattern. In Genesis 1, it was one lamb for each person. In Exodus, it's one lamb for each family, and Daddy put the blood on the door of the home. Okay? In the tabernacle of Moses, it was one lamb for the nation. And then when Jesus showed up, it was one lamb for the whole world, the Lamb of God. All those four-legged lambs were pointing to the two-legged Lamb of God, Jesus. He was the firstborn without sin because they were sacrificing the firstborn lambs that had no spot, no blemish, no mange, no COVID. They sacrificed the first one. Not a bone shall be broken. That's exactly what happens to Jesus when he becomes the fulfillment of that in Scripture. That's why Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except by me. He says, your good works are as filthy menstrual rags to me. Get out of my sight. The only thing that will give you favor with me is the blood of my son Jesus sacrificed for you. So Cain says, well, I don't know if that works or not. I don't know if it's true or not. After all, I had a bumper crop, and I don't need all of it, so I'll give God a little bit of it. Now, his heart obviously wasn't in it. And God says, I'm not happy with that, Cain, and your sin is not covered. So this is the earliest picture of how the tithe worked. Now, let's move forward 2,000 years to Abraham, and let me show you how as believers you're, you're quite special right now. From Adam to Abraham's 2,000 years approximately, from Abraham to Jesus, 2,000 years, and from Jesus to us, about 2,000 years. So something special is up in the season we're living in right now. So let's look at Abraham in those days. See, back in those days of Abraham, it was like the Wild West. There was no law and no order. There were bands of marauders that pillaged, plundered, and raped in the villages. So a group of five kings from five different territories unified and went on a killing spree. And they came to the area Abraham's nephew Lot lived. They burned his village they took him and his family as slaves, and they stole everything he owned, and Abraham heard about it. So he took 318 of his men, servants, trained for battle, and he went after these five kings. He defeated them all and recovered all that had been stolen, plus everything the five kings had. He took it, and he came home. I mean, the dude was loaded. Hello? So Abraham is returning home with all this booty, and he meets Melchizedek, 
a pre-incarnate appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, the king priest. And they have communion, bread and wine. And they make covenant together where God blesses Abraham. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5 that Jesus died on the cross so the blessings of Abraham may come upon us Gentiles. Now, what if you're sitting there, whatever Abraham got, I want some. I, if it's my legal right, I, I want a piece of that. So Melchizedek confirms this blessing on Abraham. And he said, blessed be Abraham of El Elyon, which means the most high God, creator of heaven and earth, possessor of all. And God blessed Abram, whom God had delivered all of his enemies into his hand. Now, I've preached on this in past years, but this is just a little mini briefy here. So here's the three-part blessings of Abraham. He says, so that the blessings of Abraham may come on you, me, the Gentiles. Number one, the blessing of elevation. That's promotion. You get in a relationship with God, and he will lift your life. You can't stay down and be in a relationship with the most high God. He will lift you. We've had people come on this property living in a car. And after a year in coming to Jesus, they got gainful employment. They got themselves sober. They got a place to rent to start. And little by little, their life began to be elevated. It's impossible to stay down and be in a relationship with God. And the second blessing is of ownership, the blessing of possession, possessor of heaven and earth. It's good to own. Now, you may start renting, but your goal will be own. You become the head and not the tail. You need to know, well, my daddy, shut up. You need to know your daddy, God, has given you a blessing from Abraham if you're a believer in Jesus. And he says, I'm going to give you the legal right of ownership. Now, get your mindset on that and quit sucking your thumb and excusing your, yourself because of parents or setback or the income you have at the moment. God says, if it's your right, you declare it, and I'll enforce it. I watch over my word to perform it. Speak my word. Quit telling me about your mama or your daddy or what somebody didn't do for you. This is a legal right, and God says, I'll enforce it. And third, I'll give you dominion over your enemies. How many of you like that? Watch God make your enemies your footstool. Now, I have to fight, of course. Even Abraham did. But I'm going to come out the victor in this deal. So we have an adversary always attacking us, never has a good day for us, never feels sorry for us. And God says, resist the devil, and he will flee from me. That's a fight. Fight the good fight of faith, he says, right? So this is not a passive uh, deal. This is, you got to be, got to get in this thing aggressively. So after Abraham received this blessing from Melchizedek, this is in Genesis 14, verse 18 and 20. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of the God most high, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hands. Watch it. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. This is way back before Moses, 450 years before the law. We saw it all the way back to creation. God has taught that principle, and it's been passed from Abram through family heritage, generation after generation. They know what to do, and they're doing it. So what did he give a tithe of? 
all the wealth just plundered from those five kings. Abraham's no fool. He realized God alone had given him the victory. How do you take 318 servants and defeat an army of five kings unless God was with you and gave you favor? One king of Salem, after the battle, wanted to give Abraham some resources, a little reward for the blessing for helping him out. And Abraham said, no, thanks. I don't want even a shoelace from you so that everybody will know it was God who gave me the victory. So Abraham received the blessings from Melchizedek, and he reciprocated with a tithe from all of his spoils. That is the first place the word tithe is actually used. Now, the principle, the firstborn, the first things, is the same thing. But the word tithe is used here for the first time. So this is the divine exchange God gives Abraham. Elevation, possession, and the anointing of dominion over all of his enemies. And Abraham then gives God 10% of all the stuff he received in battle. Can you see God gave Abraham the greater, but Abraham reciprocated with the lesser, a 10%. It was the honorable portion that God determined and demanded. A tenth of your increase shows honor to God. Let me pause, pause. The blood of the lamb is what redeems me from sin, gives me forgiveness, right standing with God. I'll never be judged. I have been judged in Christ, and I will never be judged again. He paid it all on the cross. Not by any work of righteousness, but by faith we receive our inheritance of eternal life. By grace through faith, not works, okay? But the tithe was my gracious reciprocation so that the blessing of Abraham could enrich my life on earth. I want promotion. I want to live bigger than I am right now. And I think many of you would like to. You should. I want to own. I don't want to be a renter. I don't want to be the tail. I want to be the head. And I want to have dominion over my enemies because they're always adversaries. And God says, if you'll honor me with the first, then I'll take care of you in these three areas. That's a legal right. So God says, I'll give you everything that's good in your life. Just remember me with the first tenth of your increase, and we'll run the whole kingdom on that. It's an ingenious plan that works for everybody. If you earn a dollar, your tithe's 10 cents. If you earn $10, your tithe is $1. If you earn $10 million, your tithe is $1 million. See? And it brings this blessing of God, elevation, promotion, and dominion over your enemies. Now, I don't know about you. But I got no insurance policy like that. No, I'm sorry. You don't. And the government, forget that. But this is what God promises to do. I've watched God's faithfulness, as some of you have, for over 60 years. And God's faithfulness is quite amazing. The divine exchange occurs in two stories in the New Testament that I'd like to share briefly. Then I want to circle back to the three-part blessing of Abraham and pray for you and bless you with that if you want to receive it. So, one of the stories about God's divine exchange is over in Luke chapter 18. Luke 18, verse 18 through 30. I'll summarize. It's probably one of the most sad and tragic stories in the New Testament. Here's a young man. He's got everything. He's called the rich young ruler. He's a three-time winner. He's rich. He's young, which you can't buy with riches. 
You can have all the money in the world, but you can't buy time. And he's a ruler. He's got authority. But he didn't have a relationship with God because the law of Moses couldn't get him there. You aware of that? You people that want to keep the law, it won't get you to God. It takes the blood of the lamb to get you to God. And look at, well, I just, no, hush. Read the Bible, would you? I don't know what you think. Just tell me what scripture says. That's all. All right, Luke 18, sorry, verse 18 through 20. And it says, a certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, young man. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these things I've kept since I was a boy. Verse 22. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, well, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have. Give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Now, selling all you have was not a command for us. This is a unique individual and a unique moment. Why, why did Jesus say this to this young man? Because he knew this young man didn't possess his riches. His riches had possession over him. And Jesus knew that. He knew it was the speed bump the young man couldn't get over. Now, he claimed to obey all the law of Moses, but he was not a giver. He hoarded and worshiped his money. So the story is sad because this rich young ruler is so possessed by his wealth that in spite of his feeling in the heart to have a relationship with Jesus, you know, asking himself, what can I do to inherit what you're all about, Jesus? I want to live forever. I want eternal life, but don't touch my money. When Jesus told him to sell all he had, Jesus knew it's going to break the back of that spirit of stinginess that was holding this kid. And the rich young ruler, unfortunately, went away sorrowfully. He turned down the opportunity to be with Jesus and be taught by him because of his wealth. Wealth isn't wrong, but if it's got you, it's wrong. If it keeps you from Jesus, it's wrong. See, if it's controlling your life, it's a tool. You use it. Use it wisely. And, and God says that you may prosper and be in health even as your soul. God's not against you prospering. But if it's going to take you away from him, then that's a bad thing. He was a man. Here's a young man trying to get to God by the law. So the divine exchange, in this case, that, that exchange didn't take place. But Jesus takes the situation and he uses it as a teaching moment. Luke 18, verse 24. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, wow, who then can be saved? And Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Then old Peter speaks. He says, Lord, we've left everything, our fishing industry, our commercial business, to follow you. Verse 29. Now here's the divine exchange. Jesus speaking. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one has left home, wife, brothers, sisters, or parents, children or business for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not fail to receive many times more in this present age and in the age to come eternal life. God says, I'm not going to wait till heaven to bless you. I'm going to bless you with much more 
now and in the life to come, eternal life. That's a good deal, right? Jesus was saying to you and me, you don't give anything to the kingdom of God that goes unnoticed, and I'll see that in this life you'll be blessed many times over, and I'll pitch in eternal life. Sounds like a good deal. That's the divine exchange. God always gives us more than we give him, always. Now, here's the other story in the New Testament about an interesting guy. This is in Luke 19, and his name is Zacchaeus. He's an ornery cuss. Uh, he, he's an extortionist, okay? He, he's a Jewish man working for the Romans. His family and his friends like he's a traitor. He's collecting taxes from his own people, and anything above those unfair taxes by the Roman government, he got to keep. So he's extorting from his own people. Now, Zach loved his money, and he figured out ways to cheat and overcharge the population. It, it's early IRS. And it's interesting that the name Zacchaeus means pure in heart. Yet old Zac was anything but pure. However, he hears Jesus is coming and is going to come to his village. And because Zach is a short guy, he knew the crowd would be too great to see Jesus. So he climbed up in a sycamore fig tree to get a better view. He wanted to see what Jesus was all about and listen to him. So to Zach's shock, Jesus comes walking into the village. He walks through the streets, comes right up to the tree Zach's pitched up in, looks up at him and says, Zach, come down. I want to have lunch at your house. And you can imagine the crowd must be like gagging. Him? An extortionist? Well, Jesus invites himself. See, Zach didn't invite him. Jesus invites himself. Well, old Zach comes down from that tree. He excitedly takes Jesus to his house. He invites all of his other friends to come in. It's a wow moment. And Jesus begins to break bread, share grace and the love of God with him and those in that dinner. And the message of the grace of God so breaks his heart and touches him that the Bible says Zacchaeus stood up and makes a voluntary decree. Now, Jesus never asked for anything from Zach, but the grace of God has so touched his life. And, and I've discovered over the years, the more you allow the grace of God to work in your life, the more generous you become. It's just a simple fact. Stinginess is a sign of not allowing the grace of God to work in your life. You know, you tell yourself, I'm going to hold on to this because I might not get any more. <clears throat> so I'm going to hold on for dear life. But the more grace works in your life, the more you realize there's a lot more where this came from. <clears throat> I can never outgive God. I'm going to bless somebody. Well, Zacchaeus had so much grace working in his life that he stood up without being asked and makes this declaration. <clears throat> he says, half of all my wealth I'm giving away today to the poor. And everyone I've cheated, which is pretty much everybody, I will repay them four times more than I stole from him. And Jesus looked at him and said, wow, Zach, grace has come to your house. Now, Zach, you're what your name says your heart is supposed to be like. Now that you've let grace in your life, the stuff you valued so much you would cheat your own brothers for doesn't mean that much anymore, so give it back. And because the more grace I've welcomed in my life, the more I recognize God is my source, and there's always more where that came from. Really, you got to learn that. 
Boy, you talk about a divine exchange. God says, Zach, I'm going to take your stingy dark heart that was willing to steal from your own brothers, and I'm going to exchange it for a heart of grace. And church history and tradition says Zacchaeus became a pastor and was recognized as a bishop in that entire region and became renowned for his giving. When grace works in your life, you just naturally want to participate in the divine exchange. And in that divine exchange, God says, I'm going to pour out all goodness in your life. Then he steps back to watch our response. And for many, we take the grace, the forgiveness, the eternal life and walk away and never come back. But it's important to God that we complete the divine exchange. God knows he's always going to give us more than he takes, but it's important that we come and be thankful. Philip, would you give me that water right over there, please? I have an itch right there. I don't have COVID. I got an itch. (coughs) Something in the air, dust or pollen or something. So you remember Jesus walks up upon the 10 lepers? Thank you. What is that, bourbon? (laughs) Just teasing, folks. Don't get religious. Ah, It is, isn't it? No, no, it isn't. No, it isn't. Jesus comes to the 10 lepers. Now, by the way, there's no cure. There's no cure for leprosy, all right? And Jesus healed all 10 of them. They had new skin, new fingers, toes. But only one came back, fell on his knees, and said, Thank you, Jesus. And Jesus accepted his praise and thanksgiving. But he asked, hey, didn't I heal 10? Where are the other nine? They didn't come today. Sorry, Lord. Maybe they're watching the end of the Olympics or something. I don't know. They were up late. They went to the rodeo last night. I guess they got in late. See, it's obvious that God expected us to have a grateful heart for what he's done for us. So we give. Pattern, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2 says, on the first day, here's the first again, first, seek first the kingdom of God, first fruit. On the first day of every week, every one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections have to be made. Paul said, if you'll do this, this is a simple instruction, there'll never be a need for a special offering when I come. If all believers gave the first fruits of their increase from the least to the greatest, that's the tithe. There would never be a need for a special offering. There's more than enough. See, the three-part blessing of Abraham will elevate your life. God will promote you. God has brought Cindy and I and so many others of you from broken, divorced, abusive homes to a stable, Christ-centered home and a life. And then he called me into the ministry. What's that worth to me, watching his blessing on my kids and family and on many others? What's that worth to me? I'm not going to walk away like the rich young ruler and say, thanks, but no thanks. I'm not giving you any of my stuff. No. The divine exchange is simply, I'll give you the 10% of all my increase, all my life, Lord. You'll never have to remind me every Sunday whether it's 30 below or 140 degrees or COVID. I'll do it without even being asked. Will you receive the blessing of elevation that will lift your life? Secondly, the blessing of possession, that God has in mind for you a home or your fam- for your family, a business if you want to start one. See, possession and ownership is part of the Abrahamic covenant. You don't want to be the tail. You want to be the head. God wants you to own and possess. 
And third, dominion over all your enemies. Maybe a child away from home addicted to drugs. Maybe it's an attack on your health, on your business. Maybe it's a legal issue. If you'd like to receive the blessing of Abraham, now that I've reminded you of it, I want you to just stand up. I want to impart that and pray for you to receive that right in your spirit this morning. This can change your life when you start seeing what God has made possible for you. Remember, salvation is by the blood of the Lamb, the Lord Jesus, alone. But God's promise to elevate you, to give you dominion over your enemies and possession is key and centered in giving him first place in your life, first portion of your increase on a regular basis. And God says, I'll give you the greater than 10%. I will bless your life, protect your life, defeat your enemies, elevate your life and promote you. And for those mamas and daddies with babies, he says, the seed of the righteous shall inherit the earth. They shall be mighty in the land. Wealth and riches shall be in their household. They shall possess the gates of their enemies. The favor of God will bring them promotion when they seem unlikely to get it. Battles won, they don't have to fight. Policies, ordinances, laws, contracts, and legal matters settled in their favor. I will protect them as a shield. Claim that. Say that every day over your children, over your family. That's part of your legal inheritance and right. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.